0: Welcome to The Vinyl Preacher. Uh, I'm Pastor Matt Cadle, pastor at St. Mark's Luther Church in Los Angeles, California.
1: And I'm the Reverend Zachary W. Paris, uh, first of his name, pastor of the campuses in Boulder, Colorado. Beautiful Boulder, Matt. It's May. May is the month to come to Boulder. It's the only month of the year in which we receive rain and everything is green for a few fleeting moments
0: wow in may may so perfect for
1: graduations ideal for rainy graduations (laughs) fortunately most of our graduation ceremonies take place outdoors
0: Hmm, good good man well uh los angeles it's a little cool which is good that means i can wear my chicago cubs championship hoodie when the chicago cubs are in town which they were this weekend but that's all we're going to say about that However, my girls did get to go to their first Cubs game.
1: Your first Dodger game.
0: It is kind of weird how I'm trying to train them to be Cub fans when they're born in Los Angeles. And that's what we're doing. Um, But their, their maternal grandparents keep sending
1: them Detroit Tigers stuff. Mm. So I don't know what that's about. I need to do a better job as a godparent. That's all. <laughs> I need to step oh, it no. up. Step no. it up. No White Sox <laughs> Stop. Florida Marlins gear. It's coming your way. Wow! Montreal Expos. <laughs> so, Zach,
0: we had a we had an eventful time uh, while we were away. We had we had equally powerful experiences.
1: Equally powerful.
0: So, you went to uh, you went to the Middle East. Where did you Where did you go?
1: I went to a little place called Israel in Palestine uh, what? for who knows how long time is. Time is really hard, Matt. That's the main takeaway I have. We left on a Tuesday night. We got there on Thursday morning, I think. Time differences, airplanes, maybe a little more than a week, I think is what they're telling me, how long I was gone.
0: Man, traveled halfway across the world. So uh, we're not, uh, we decided we're not going to unpack. No. Every single thing that
1: you no. experience. I just have one thing trip. I want to unpack, Matt, that's frivolous, yeah. right? So, the trip, we're not going to talk about it right now because uh, incredibly heavy, lots of things worth unpacking in great detail and nuance uh, that, that the, we're not set up to provide for you today. But I can provide for you one ridiculous, cynical thing. Observation that I'll make. We traveled towards the end of our trip to a place called Masada. Uh, Masada is out in the middle of the desert near the shores of the Dead Sea, and it is a place that uh, the nation of Israel uh, points to as a source of national pride and history uh, because it's this mountain, desert mountain. Think Utah or Mars, whichever one you've been to more recently. And the story goes that. In the kind of Maccabean period, pre-Jesus, 30, 40 years, there's a Jewish revolt against the Romans, and uh, surprise, it doesn't go very well for the, the Jewish, for the Judeans. Uh, the rebellion is quelled in Jerusalem, and the last group of rebels are holed up on top of this mountain out in Masada in the desert. And so the Romans come and they lay siege to the fortress and faced with either Roman slavery Uh, or death. The Jewish rebels choose death, and they all kill themselves, and that is celebrated right? as the nation of Israel considers uh, sovereignty. You should know that on your way to Masada, you get to take a gondola up, uh, so that's an interesting experience. Uh, But before you're allowed on the gondola, you have to watch a short, incredibly cheesy promotional film explaining it to you, uh, full of like... (laughs) hard cuts like full looks into the camera dramatic pauses the whole thing and my favorite part of it was that our narrator who was way into this he described what that process was like killing everyone uh of themselves uh and he said that night because actually they found uh they found shards of like pottery that were like uh tiles that they drew to see who was going to go first or last and stuff, right? And so he's really building up to it and he's like, and he said, after they murdered all of the, the wives and children, it was now down to the real work, deciding who was going to be the last one who'd have to fall on his own own sword. Which, if you're into that, sure. But I just want to lift up the casualness with which they murdered all of the wives and children. <laughs> <laughs> that was the part, that was my big takeaway, was the casualness with which uh, ancient Judean warriors would murder their own children and wives uh, before they got down to the real tough business of killing other full-grown men uh, with whom they had... No, no, no point did the children and wives get to vote on the, should we all murder ourselves, or should we go into Roman slavery? If we remember anything from the life of Brian, it's that the Roman slavery wasn't that bad. They had <laughs> security, They had clean water, uh, education. It it wasn't that bad, guys, but. So then, from then on in the trip, anytime anything got difficult, I would say, now that we've murdered the wives and children, it's time for the real business. (laughs) (laughs) So that's
0: my frivolous takeaway. That's inspiring. Mm -hmm. Inspiring right there, inspiring
1: story. History, it just comes alive. It just comes alive. And then it kills itself because that's how this story works. I'm gonna, I'm gonna
0: pass that on to my wife who's a history professor. Maybe she can be sure to teach it. in because <laughs> it sounds like a good one.
1: Mm. I suspect that that your, your experience, your powerful experience will, have, will resonate deeply with that with the story of Masada.
0: Yeah, no. Um, I went to the, uh, the Rose Bowl Rose Bowl Little Stadium in Pasadena. Uh, actually called America's Stadium mm-hmm. that's their tagline America's Stadium it was pretty cool I've never been to the Rose Bowl before been here for five and a half years and I have not been there uh, it was cool it's been there I don't know how old the Rose Bowl actually is but uh, but it's been around a while and I was there not to watch the UCLA Bruins play
1: that actually has a lot more in common with Masada. <laughs> <laughs>
0: probably probably <laughs> I was there to see you two, my favorite band. Uh, I think it was the twelfth or thirteenth time that I've seen them live, <laughs> but only the second time I've seen them outdoors. So that's cool. Uh, I went with uh, three friends: the Sumner Eisenbrons and uh, and Anthony, somebody that works at uh, at one of the camps. Uh, however, Kevin Sumner Eisenbron, friend of the pod, he was he was with us uh, on our Coachella pod hospice chaplain uh was actually on call that night and got called um right after we came through the turnstiles so he did not get to see you two live
1: what a bummer i
0: know
1: i didn't know this was actually going to be a masada it
0: was he had to fall on his sword
1: because literally someone else had fallen on their historic collection of swords a
0: lot of death in today's podcast um (laughs) And, uh, yeah, so they were on their Joshua Tree tour. And uh, I guess the, the brief thing that I'll say about it is this, that I was initially very skeptical of this tour because one of the things that I uh, really love about you two, I know you two love them or hate them, but, uh, but even if you hate them, what, I, what one of the things that I love about them is that they're always uh, looking forward, always trying to do a new thing, always kind of just pushing forward and trying to do something new. They don't usually do uh, nostalgia greatest hits tours. They're not afraid to play their hits, but they're always like, like their last tour in 2015. I mean, it was like half songs from the new album. Like they, they're still doing that even after 40 years of uh, of being a band. And so it was a little surprising to me that they're on this nostalgia tour, um, the Joshua Tree 30th anniversary. Uh, but I was, I was blown away that they. I know it, it's very surprising that I, Matt Cable, was blown away at a U2 concert. This you heard is it here first.
1: Breaking news. For anyone who knows me.
0: Uh, but they really like they they really breathed new life into it and made it contemporary again. So, they always have a new stage set up for all of their tours. But this time, um, in keeping with like the simplicity of the Joshua Tree tour, it was just one single screen. In fact, um, we we're told it was the largest screen in concert tour history. Just one large, wide screen video screen on which they played these films that Anton Corbine their photographer for the Joshua Tree and on many of their albums had gone and made in the southwestern uh, United States desert so um, these films of the Joshua Tree are these films of like going through for example Utah right and this this kind of western American landscape uh, in black and white and uh, they would play that as they were like going through these songs. Like I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And you're going through this like forest and you end up with these Joshua trees and uh, very, very cool. And they kicked into the Joshua tree by playing uh, Pride in the Name of Love, which is a song about Martin Luther King Jr. and had some words from his speech. And that went into their study of America, right? Which the Joshua tree is it's this look at America. And again, you two love him or hate him. You can think that is like the corniest thing uh, in the entire world. But, uh, but I really thought what they were doing was reminding, was going back and taking another look at America, right? In this time when our American identity is really fraught and reminding us who we are who we could be and just bringing forth the 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 beauty the natural beauty of this country and then the the beauty of the ideas and the ideals that we hold up again like you can take that however you do but i i think that it's also a thing that we do like it it always hits me as a a practitioner of uh religion that this is also what we do right we take these ancient concepts these ancient ideals and, and we try to open them up for the spirit to breathe new life into them we say yeah this thing's 30 years old. This thing's 3,000 years old, and yet it can feel fresh. So I thought it was cool. It was clearly as powerful as visiting Israel and Palestine. Uh, I'm going to just put those two things out there as being equal.
1: Who am I to judge your experience (laughs) in the Rose Bowl? Clearly not. Uh, Clearly not equal. Walls, turnstiles. It it fits. (laughs) It fits, man.
0: I hear that we are going to be discussing your experience more on... uh, We're going to hear more about it. That's right. On the Pod Bless America podcast.
1: Working on getting it together. Going to have a whole Pod Bless America uh, episode dedicated to uh, talking about Israel, Palestine, what's happening there. Looks like we're going to have Karin Brown, who's the director of the ELCA's Peace Not Walls Strategy, a native, uh, literally born in Jerusalem, uh, to talk to us about or to help me figure out what the hell happened to me uh, uh, while I was there. Again, first and foremost, this podcast and all of our podcasts are about me. (laughs) But Matt, you have such Pentecostal thoughts there on the YouTube show. Uh, How apt? Pentecostal? How apt. How are they Pentecostal? Spirit breathing new life into old things.
0: Oh my gosh. Spirit breathing new life into old things. I feel like it's, I feel like, uh, the clock has, has, has turned around. I mean, you went through a lot of time changes to travel all the way out there. I did, now you're, I did. But now you're back in a different time zone.
1: I am in a different time zone. See, so Jerusalem is nine hours from Denver, uh, and London's two hours from Jerusalem, but you got to subtract them, and then you carry over the British Airways issues and... Uh, and so uh, a fun thing I learned at British Airways, you can have chicken curry in a lot of different ways, but in the end, it's still chicken curry in a can. Uh, but if I just check my on-screen navigation track, uh, follow my trip, and I can watch my little bleeping airplane as it sails across Greenland, uh, over Nova Scotia, not even Nova Scotia, we clear Nova Scotia, over the Hudson Bay, uh, it says in the little cord that it's time for the text. Time for the text. Local time for the text. Local time.
0: Time for the text. Texts for the day of Pentecost. Pentecost.
1: Wait, 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 wait. What's a a,
0: a Pentecost, man? What is a Pentecost? What is a Pentecost?
1: Pentecost. Sounds satanic.
0: Not a pentagram. Oh. Not a pentagram. Different. That would be an unfortunate mistake if you had decided <laughs> to celebrate Pentagram
1: Pentagram Sunday. Sunday.
0: <laughs> no, this is Pentecost. Uh, Penta, 50, 50 days, uh, 50 days after Easter. Um, but it's also, uh, so in the Christian tradition, it's Pentecost, it's 50 days after Easter. Um, but it's an overlay onto uh, Jewish tradition, which is uh, the festival of when the law was given at Mount Sinai. Is that correct? Am I right
1: on that? That's um, a part of it. (laughs) Tell us more. It's a convergence of things. Pentecost, right? So if you look it up, I learned this this year for the first time. Uh, I'd always been satisfied with Penta. 50, 50 days. This is great. (laughs) Uh the- I was I was clearly satisfied with that. But tell right. us so more. And I was like, huh, I wonder, like, because it says Pentecost in the text. It, the day of Pentecost arrived. My understanding, the understanding that I've found today, is that it's the festival of weeks. Uh, there is a little verse in Leviticus, Leviticus 23, 16, that says, You shall count until the day after the seventh Sabbath, fifty days, and then you shall present uh, an offering of new grain to the Lord. So it's uh, the festival of weeks or Shavot, Shavout, Shabbat is 50 days from Passover and so actually for the for us recording on Tuesday May 30th it starts tonight at sundown and lasts for a day so happened to coincide with the barley the barley harvest at the time Hmm. Uh, though I did see a note about the the Sinai thing getting wrapped up and connected but that's where the 50 comes in the Leviticus uh, Levitical code uh, calls for the celebration to happen 50 days after the last day of Passover Uh, Which is why it coincides pretty closely to to our Christian understanding of Pentecost, 50 days from Easter Sunday. Yeah, and I think this is...
0: I was struck by that too, when the day of Pentecost had come. I mean, the resurrection texts don't say, when the day of Easter
1: (laughs) had come. When the day of Christmas Eve had arrived.
0: (laughs) But but it is true that, um, I mean, even even Easter is sort of, it, it intersects with Passover, right? And it does so in some powerful ways, typically with Monday, Thursday, right? But um, these, it's interesting how these how, like festival stories and trying to figure out the right words, but that they happen in the midst of a festival that's already existing, right? It didn't, this didn't happen. This particular story didn't happen on some random days. There are other stories that happen on a random day, but this is one that actually happened in the midst of a festival. And um, we can... Talk through all the religious meanings in the festival, and that's super important. But then I also think just the practical, the practicalities of a festival, right? Like you're in the midst of a festival, and there's all kinds of both secular and religious stuff going on, right? Because it's a festival. And so I think there's something, there's something interesting about that. That's the context in which this story happens. I guess I always think about it too in relation to when we lived in, uh, Chris and I lived in Mexico, and she was studying devotion to this particular image of the Virgin Mary in a tiny town in rural mexico and this tiny town on festival like it was tiny most of the year but on festival days it would swell to like 20 times the size that it was on a normal day and so festivals like festivals matter festivals change the context in which you find yourself it's kind of like i'll even put it in uh a context here at st mark's it might be like so there's typical saturday and then there's a football saturday Mm. (laughs) the context of the neighborhood looks very different on a festival
1: day I have a a random, or not random. It's tangential. There we go. Tangential nerdy hot take uh, for you, Matt and Chris. Uh, Because on the trip we did travel to Nazareth. Nazareth, we know uh, as the hometown of Jesus, but also allegedly, according to legend, the place where Mary uh, is assumed into heaven. And so we went to the church there where that is said to have happened. And so they have all these images of the Virgin, Matt, from all over the world. They're just like the the whole complex is just covered. And images of the virgin and of course i found guadalupe but of the hundreds of images of the virgin in nazareth there were no zero nada cero, images of our lady of san juan de las lagas a travesty you look oh i looked i looked <laughs> at guadalupe well I, my, most of my blame was heaped upon the spanish because somehow the spanish had a million images and there was one for mexico and, of course, the one from Mexico, if there's only one, it's going to be Guadalupe. But how did the Canadians get an entry? It's ridiculous. International politics are hard, Matt. That's the punchline <laughs> here. Uh, I, think, I think I'll think i add on to, to your comments about this day and the celebration happening in the context of another, an older context. There are folks who might point to Christian festivals. Normally, people talk about Christmas as having its root as a pagan holiday and all that kind of stuff, uh, as some way to demean the holiday or to somehow make it less true. But I, I think right just completely to the contrary, that, that the work that God is doing in the world is this knitting together, this quilting. I'm going to tie it together, Matt. It's time for the text. Uh, we're not probably not going to talk about John a whole lot, but John, you get the resurrected Jesus coming into the locked house. They're locked up for fear of the Judeans. And Jesus says, peace be with you. I did a little nerd study on peace, which actually doesn't show up that much. Jesus doesn't say it that often. But it really literally means to be tied together. And so that sort of tying together of all the disparate parts of creation and our experiences into this cohesive, peaceful whole is the work that God is doing. And so to expect God to somehow work from a tabla rasa, from a blank slate, and create something completely new with no ties to what has been is absurd, Matt.
0: It is absurd.
1: Um, Yeah, well,
0: so there... Yeah, I was looking at Acts too, but that sense that they were all in the same room
1: mm-hmm. uh
0: for fear. That's they're all in it's says in this reading from Acts. They're all together in one place. This rush of violence filled the house. So they're inside, they're indoors. Um they're gathered together. That's that's where the story starts. And I think it's really interesting because it doesn't end there, right? It doesn't it doesn't seem to end inside. It starts inside. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to end Outside. Before we move to outside, <clears throat> what do you think about it? this? Is like the part of the story that we, um, well, I guess we think of a couple different parts of the story, but here, right at the beginning, there's a rush of a violent wind, fills the house, divided tongues as a fire appear among them, and a tongue rested on each of them, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in other languages as the Spirit
1: gave them ability. <laughs> Any hot takes on that part of the story? Um, no. Well, rich
0: images, I think. I mean, one of the things that mm-hmm. I, um, love about pentecost is just the the rich imagery that we get right the rush of a violent wind and fire anytime we get fire i Ooh. mean that's pretty i know it's pretty exciting fire Ooh. good
1: fire good but also bad i did order a new uh because i lost my my starter my, my fire starter Ordered a new fire starter on Amazon this week just for Sunday, so that in open space uh, we can set some fires.
0: Hey, we had a fire. We had a bonfire at St. Mark's with the youth on Friday night because we had to talk about the uh, the Netflix series Thirteen Reasons Why.
1: Is that an adaptation of the historic Israeli narrative about Masada? Oh, no. okay. Uh, Sorry. Maybe.
0: Okay. Kind of. I don't know. We're not going to go into the. We're not going to go into it today. But that's what we were gathering for, and we made a bonfire, and we're trying to figure out how to start the bonfire, and so. I tried to use the cotton balls. We still have a little. We still have a little alcohol spray. Boom. Uh, I know. And so, um, one of our high school students who witnessed you making the fire, <laughs> I was like, "Why isn't it working?" Right? And she's like, "You didn't do the bow correctly. Like, you obviously weren't paying attention when Zap Pastor Zach acted. it." Like she was criticizing my every fire-making move because I did not live up to your fire starting oh, standard.
1: Glad that I could be <laughs> But
0: fire starting oh my gosh god I love it mm-hmm. i think we're actually gonna do we did this last year um for pentecost and um even though it's not as cool to try to do the same thing every year i think we're gonna try to do it again where we uh and we did this at the vigil too so you saw where we have this giant uh, empty jug uh that previously had water inside of it and we soak it with some alcohol and we drop a match inside of it and there is like a sound like a, there's like a rush of a violent wind. There's yeah. this sound. Builds and a fire that goes down and back up uh, really quickly, uh, and it's it's pretty cool. We did it for the fiery furnace at the vigil, but uh, but I think we'll do it for Pentecost too because it makes that sound effect, and of course everyone's like ooh, so it's always fun. To have a little... We did it last year, and one of the visitors that Sunday said, "I enjoyed the service. It was very theatrical." <laughs> <laughs> it was like good, that's what we aim for here at St. Mark's. Nailed it. So some rich, uh,
1: rich images. So much better than last week uh, if you didn't do Ascension where you just got John continuing to talk, to say farewell already, Jesus. We've got fire. We're headed towards moons of blood and stuff, man. Oh, my gosh. Blood and fire, smoky mist.
0: So I got one hot take before we get to the vision at the end. And that's so, like, I've never been into the whole birthday of the church thing. No. Um, But it is a way that that folks talk about it. And I guess as I was thinking about it this time, I I don't know, I I really felt this movement from there inside the house. The spirit Mm -hmm. comes, fills them, uh, lights a fire, and it doesn't say they went outside, but clearly they must have gone outside because now all of a sudden the crowd begins to hear them and they start talking to the crowd. And so it does seem like there's this move from inside to outside. And it's the similar move in the gospel. If you end up preaching on the gospel, right where they're inside in this locked room and Jesus breathes spirit on them and really kind of sends them out. Right. There's this move from inside to outside. Um, so what does it say? If this is the birthday of the church, it's not just tongues of fire. What does it say? If the birthday of the church is a move from inside fearfulness, um, to outside proclamation, uh, outside proclamation, and a proclamation um, that it appears crosses all kinds of boundaries—boundaries boundaries of race, language, uh, nationality—and we'll see in this reading from Joel, um, generation too. This this proclamation that crosses all kinds of boundaries—that is a kind of n- knitting together in the midst of the proclamation, right? As you were talking about this knitting together of different peoples.
1: Boom! Boom. Here's what I like about that, Matt, and that's here's what I'm going to what I'm going to do with your your walls of the house. It's an old, old refrain, but it is a refrain that God repeats over and over again. uh, And that is that our walls, the walls of our homes, the barriers we build between each other are not barriers for God. They're not barriers for God. And that, I think, starts to get stretched to include the dream, our dreams and our visions. Uh, We think of our dreams and visions as walled-off imaginary things that live uh, perhaps inside of our head uh, while we're engaged in rapid eye uh, uh, movement. Uh, Also REM, uh, one of the greatest artists of all time. But I think the promise of this Acts text, and Peter's quoting Joel here, the promise of Joel is that God is not limited by those, even by our imagination. One of my favorite pieces of good news to proclaim, uh, God is not limited Uh, God is not held captive by the limits of our imaginations. Yeah,
0: and for me, like, that's, for me, that is good news in this time. I mean, at a time when, um, I mean, I don't know, we wouldn't be having this conversation a year ago, but um, now in the midst of 2017, we have this pattern where um, our fear uh, gets amplified and our fear leads us to build these walls. Maybe it's a trite refrain, and so you have to come up with a fresh way to say it, since it seems like we have to deal with it every Week all the time, but it, but it does seem like that's the move, right? Is the move going to be that our fear is going to lead us to build walls, or are we going to move from fear to to what to a reaching out to a fa- from fear to faith? What what else could that fear? What other direction could we go? Um, what, action, what other direction could God move us in? Um, because the fear to walls, um, it fills me with a lot of despair because it seems like that's the direction our world is moving um, in so many different ways, right? Not only in our elections in the United States, but you look at Brexit, you look at um, just all kinds of things and your experience too, right? Like the, what do we it – can, it can very much fill you with despair. And so to be reminded that God is not limited by, by the walls that we build out of our fear – uh, it could be good news, um, and it could also be, I think, a challenge to us to say what else could what else could fill us other than fear.
1: I'm going to lift up. I feel like there are two responses to to what happens here, um, and then Peter addresses both of them. Right, the first is all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, "What does this mean?" And then there's the others uh, who say that the the folks. Uh, who are speaking and hearing in different languages are filled with new wine. They're drunk at the festival. Uh, So on one hand, what does this mean? On the other, they're clearly drunk, and this doesn't matter. I am not a fan of the question, what does this mean, Matt? It probably, this is probably the area where I am the worst Lutheran. Um, I just (laughs) don't don't love that question, right? That's my least favorite preaching question. I'm going to get a little soapboxy here. Um, The job of the preacher is not to explain what this means to people, uh, right? Your job as a preacher is to invite people into, the, to create an experience, uh, to be a part of inviting people into this wondrous experience uh, with this mysterious, miraculous God, Uh, not tell them what this means. What I hear in that question today is a question that my students, our students asked a lot of times to our hosts when we were in Israel and Palestine. Our students were fantastic, They did an amazing job. Um, being engaged, asking thoughtful questions. But they asked lots and lots of questions, and one of the questions that got asked at least early on to almost all of our hosts was, what do you think the solution looks like? I understand where that question comes from. We're hearing all of this really powerful information that's not particularly hopeful, and they wanted to know what they thought the answer looked like on the ground? What does this mean? Where, where are we headed to with it? in this? And the answer they got over and over again was not satisfying. It doesn't matter what I think the answer is, is mostly what we heard. Uh, that we're not, this situation, this place is not in the place where we need to be spending our time and energy figuring out what some sort of final arrangement looks like, but that we need to live fully into dealing with the reality of things right now. And so... On one hand, I think it's it's an honest question, but it's a question that desires some clearness and f- uh, finality that I don't think this text gives us. They don't leave. I think the I think the the trap you could fall into as a preacher is to say, uh, well, Peter sides with those who are asking. What does this mean? That they're somehow more right than those who who disregarded him as as being drunk. But I don't think anybody leaves Pentecost with an understanding of what this means.
0: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think, um, yeah, no, I hear you. I think like when I teach, um, the catechism and confirmation class, like I tend not to emphasize so much the answers that Luther gave, although I like you explore that a little bit, but, um, like when I asked my confirmation students what it means to be Lutheran, um, my favorite response was, they gave me two responses right away. And one was, remember your baptism. And number two was, and you can ask questions. And those nice. are the two characteristics of Lutheranism, So I said, that's great. Like, yeah. if those are the only two things you remember, remember your baptism, and it's okay to ask questions, uh, that's awesome. And so I emphasize sort of the questioning of it, right? So I don't know that I have a problem with the question itself. I have a problem with the kind of answer that you might give. And I think that um, it's kind of interesting because, like, the answer that Peter gives isn't really an answer, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it kind of is, but it's also a very oblique kind of coming at it from a different angle, Gives you a really weird reading, like a, a really weird ancient reading. Right? Quotes um, one of the prophets with some stuff in there that's inspiring and some stuff in there that's really weird and hard to understand. Um, Who knew so that heard,
1: Peter and I had so much in common? <laughs> right? Um,
0: so I celebrate the. I, I guess I'm I'm okay with the question, um, but I think I think there are answers that. Yeah, the, the, I think the problem would be with the wrong kind of answer. But you're right, that you don't come away with it understanding what it means. But I wonder what you do come away with it. What what do you come away with? How about that question? What do
1: you come away with? I think the answer is experiential. What does this mean? It's a come and see kind of thing.
0: I mean, I do think like that you come away with... a. I I guess I want to say... I'm gonna throw a couple of things at the wall. I'd throw, I'd throw faith at the wall, right? If you're coming at it in fear, hopefully come out with a little bit more courage. Maybe you come out with an expanded vision because we get this vision of like all these different kinds of people being knit together and then this vision that Peter offers, but also like a sense of possibility, a, a, sense of, a, a renewed sense of possibility, um, right? Which I think, which is experiential, but like if the question, if the answer they're filled with new wine is a response of cynicism, hopefully you leave not with cynicism, but with a sense of possibility, enough possibility that you might actually come and see, right? Because if you're just cynical and you're like, there's nothing to see here, Mm -hmm. but you come away thinking that there might actually be possibility. We had last, not this past Sunday, but the Sunday before that, pretty much right after we finished recording our podcast, uh, I got a call from our LA city councilman's office saying that he was going to come to St. Mark's that upcoming Sunday. And I was like, ah, there's no notice. How am I supposed to organize any kind of, Response, spots. Um, but we ended up doing like a town hall conversation in the midst of worship. I gave a little sermon to frame it and then we had a town hall uh, conversation with our city councilman, which is, you know, like there's only a handful of them that run the city. So it was a big deal. Um, but, but this is the crazy thing is that then, I thought it was really cool that he was willing to come and engage with us. I mean, even though he's a politician, um, I was impressed that he was willing to face these questions. He didn't know what he was walking into. He had no idea what he was walking into, right? He was coming into our house um, and I thought really kind of engaged, I thought he engaged faithfully, even if I didn't agree with, with all of the things that he said, right, He, I felt like he engaged faithfully. But <laughs> talking to people afterwards, the, the the amount of cynicism with which they heard his words, right, like, well, you've heard all this before. I mean, that was like the kind of thing that I heard. And of course, Chris said, well, I think folks in South Central have a good reason to like distrust the system, like it hasn't really worked for them <laughs> over time. Um, and so, like in some ways, cynicism is a legit response when you've experienced like disappointed, disappointment, disappointment, <laughs> right, from these systems over and over. But is there a way to come away with come away from this not with cynicism, but with with some sense of hope? And I say that with like even even like the seed of hope, right? Just possibility. I, I'm gonna use the word possibility instead of hope because hope maybe has started to lose some of its meaning. But just possibility,
1: right? Mm-hmm. Another word that I seized upon that I. Uh... I retained, like, the the sins that are retained. It's like a seizing, a grabbing hold of, right? A word that I grabbed a hold of was portents. Because I I have, like, a basic understanding of what a portent is, I think, mostly formed from a middle school experience of playing Magic the Gathering. That joke did not work at Old People Tech Study (laughs) earlier today. But it's true, that's where I learned about these things. But portents in the—it's terrace in Greek and Mopheth— in Joel, in the Hebrew. And what it more means is wonder, wonders. Really? Um, yeah. And so so I'm going to connect this. But that if we're going to see Pentecost in line with Christmas, Easter, uh, and then Pentecost, I think this is the one that we most easily categorize as a thing that didn't really happen. Because I think people could—I mean, the Christmas story is believable-ish, Right. That makes sense. Uh, Easter, you feel like you're supposed to believe that happened, so you gotta can't question that. But this is clearly a metaphor, right? There weren't actual tongues of fire that sat on people's heads. That's insane. Clearly, it's just like, and then we're talking about sun and moon, blood, fire. This is all mythology that we need to, to, to distill down to figure out what does this mean, right? But I think Joel here quoted through the mouth of Peter is calling us back to having to consider and sit with the whole story here, the fullness of of that experience, the wonder of what this experience might have been and might be for us. Because Matt, I have a killer Pentecost sermon. (laughs) I have an amazing Pentecost sermon because there. I just love this Joel. I didn't know that I loved Joel, but I love Joel. Uh, Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Uh, Matt, mutual friend, a uh, friend of the pod, John Green, young adult author, uh, has a novel called Paper Towns. And in Paper Towns he describes the phenomenon of Paper Towns, which is a, a way that uh, cartographers used to use of putting a fake town on their map to protect their intellectual property so that no one else could buy uh, a copy of their map and then sell it as their own. And they made a fake town in upstate New York called Aglo. Uh, these two guys, Otto G. Lindbergh and Ernst Alpers, A-G-L-O-E, letters work together, anagram, and then in the 1950s, after their map had sold really well, Esso stations around the country Rand McNally, published a map of the United States that included a little town called Aglo, New York, and Otto and Ernst. Uh, they had called up Johnny Cochran, uh, which is a dated reference, I understand. They got the best lawyer's money could buy because they were going uh, to, to cash in all that Rand McNally money because they had them. But when they went to court, Rand McNally said, no, 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 Aglo, New York is a real place. And it turns out that so many people had bought that map from an SO station then decided to drive out to see a place that they knew didn't exist, that someone decided to build a little place called the Aglo General Store, complete with a post office, and what had only lived in the imaginations of Otto and Ernst became real. So all that's to say, Matt, I think this Sunday is about wonder, and it's about... It's about hope in the truest sense of hope, right? Hope that is not optimism. Hope that just requires the slightest possibility. All we have to do is to be able to dream it because God is not held captive by the walls of our imaginations. Um, And yet the things that we dream, the visions we see, they become real. So I think the point of this Sunday is to invite people into that wonder to do what you can to create that experience of wonder, that place where that seed, that kernel of hope that there might be a future, that there might be a place where a city councilman uh, can show up at little old St. Mark's uh, in great sincerity to listen, to learn, right? That that might be, that doesn't have to be what happened. It just has to be.
0: Yeah. It's funny because it's almost, it's almost more inspiring to think of um, just a shred of possibility, right? Than running too far and saying, describing the great vision uh, at the end of the world, the tree with leaves of healing, which is also a beautiful vision. I love revelation, but um, but maybe not going all the way to the end of the vision, um, giving us the final solution, um, but to say, what's what is the next step and is that even is that next step a possibility? And in some ways, like that has even more power because it feels more real. It feels more real also paper towns the movie not as good as the book i haven't even seen it no oh god it's so bad i mean like the most of the movie is bad but then the ending it just completely destroys the like it's a makes it a completely different meaning totally i one of my high school students is also in love with this book and after watching the movie texted me the longest text message (laughs) that i've gotten from a student in my life saying how much how bad the movie was
1: so confession here i didn't think the book was that good (laughs)
0: <laughs> you love that book you're always talking about it you basically just think the idea of Paper Towns the is, idea of Paper Towns life. is incredible, an incredible and idea. I completely
1: understand why you would write a book about it <laughs> I never really got caught up in like the like. I can't even I vaguely remember the storyline they start in the Orlando tea, end up in tea, New York the T-drama didn't catch you no not like i mean that was what made tiffio so different was that i got caught i cried reading that book right you probably
0: don't want to read 13 reasons why then
1: (laughs) it was not on my list actually
0: i had to read it because literally all of my youth were talking about it like very excitedly so i felt like i had to figure out get in on this conversation but it was kind of excruciating to read it was it was pretty
1: excruciating like I can't wait for our episode called 13 Podcast." Why?
0: <laughs> um, okay, so p- playlist, playlist. So uh, yeah, this is this is a fun one because there are so many good songs for Pentecost.
1: Mm-hmm. We'll
0: have an extended playlist on the uh, on the Spotify. But uh, do you have a couple of songs that you want to recommend on the pod?
1: I do, Matt. And I'm going non-traditional here. Non-traditional Pentecost pop songs because there's a the canon is is great. I'm gonna start with the Flaming Lips. Do you realize? I think that song beautifully brings us into the fullness of that wonder. If if people leave uh, on Sunday uh, evening for me feeling like they just have been like had an experience with the Flaming Lips, then I think I've done my job.
0: Didn't you do that one for Easter? <laughs> that's a nice bookend that's a nice right. bookend the flames See? of the vigil to the flames of pentecost
1: wonderful boom love it do you realize yeah. we're floating in space
0: and great band name for pentecost
1: exactly the cover art. i've actually already made the cover art for the, the <laughs> podcast this week and it's beautiful you should check it out it's an icon of uh, of pentecost and so there's like a spirit radiating down but there's a. Uh, uh, not the album that, that this song is on, but a Flame Lips have an album where uh, I superimpose the, this trippy sun thing onto it. It's really cool. <laughs> Very Boulder. Very Boulder.
0: Oh my goodness. Um, gosh, where to start? Well, I'm going to start. Um, so I had like a whole list of fire songs, but then we got in this whole thing about portents and wonder. And what does this mean? And so uh, I had a song just rush into my head like a violent wind. A song by Kanye West called I Wonder. I wonder from his graduation album, uh, season of graduations that we are in. Uh, And the chorus, it's like a a sample from a song that I don't know. We'll have to look that up. Uh, But it says, and I wonder if you know what it means. I wonder if you know what it means. One of those beautiful um, soul samples that Kanye likes to use, uh, or at least the old Kanye, the old Kanye used to use. <laughs> so I wonder if you know what it means. Um, and then, and then, cause I got to have some fire songs. So I got, mm-hmm. I got, uh, you know, Pentecost didn't start on Pentecost. I mean, this is not a brand new holiday coming out of nowhere. It's a festival festival that started many, many years before. So I just got to say that we did not start the fire, Billy Joel. We didn't start the fire. Also, Billy Joel, appropriate artist, because his last name is Joel.
1: What? What? Oh, I never got that part. (laughs) So meta, layers on layers. It's unbelievable, Matt. Unbelievable. Uh, I wonder, uh, I know who does wonder though, Matt, and all we gotta do is take a quick trip back to the mid nineties our good friends, the Cranberries, uh, the song called Dreams. Oh. oh, my life is changing every day in every possible ways. And oh, my dreams, it's never quite as it seems. Never quite as it seems.
0: Yeah, and the Cranberries, she had such a distinctive voice. They were like, that was a classic, like, I mean, they only had like, what, that one album maybe? Mm-hmm, but, but they, but they oh, man when I
1: rediscovered one. the cranberries a couple years ago it made me so peaceful and whole in that in that wholeness that there was an empty part of me that I didn't know existed but it's where the cranberries go
0: and they have that song Zombie which is just like a great Oh so good so linger. good the cranberries also a band from
1: Ireland what <laughs> do you have to do you have to let it linger oh, no, no. oh. And this classics wow
0: what else should I throw out there um Little song by The Roots featuring John Legend, the fire, the fire inside you, let it burn. Uh, song talking about the fire inside of you. The Roots and John Legend, uh, the fire. I think it's from the album How I Got Over, which is a pretty great album. It's a
1: pretty it's great. It's not album from the I soundtrack was... to La La Land. It's just not. <laughs> the John Legend song doesn't involve fire.
0: I still haven't seen. I still haven't seen that movie, but it's okay because uh, it's my life. <laughs>
1: That's fantastic. Matt, I have one more for you, and this is a special, special song. Uh, In addition to Pentecost, there's some other things going on this week in the liturgical calendar near and dear to your heart, Matt. June 7th is the date for the commemoration of Seattle, chief of the Duwamish Confederacy. One thing we know, our God is your God. The earth is precious to him, and to harm the earth is to heap contempt on its creator. So wrote Chief Seattle in his, 19, his 1852 letter to the President of the United States. And in honor, my personal commemoration of Chief Seattle is to play Blue Scholars North by Northwest. Because, you know... They're uh, live from Occupied Duwamish Territory. Almost has something to do with words that we've talked about in this podcast. Occupied Territory. Uh, Interesting <laughs> how it all ties together. That
0: was a phenomenal playlist, the Seattle playlists. It was. It's, it's your I greatest made. work.
1: It's your greatest. I mean,
0: work. and in part because Seattle just a hotbed of incredible music.
1: They do such a good job recording music about the place.
0: Yeah, I mean like there's a lot of there's a lot of songs about Los Angeles, and California, but almost too much. I mean it kind of like it overwhelms you its Hollywood. I mean, you know,
1: the essence of a song about Los Angeles is that it can't be about Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Cuz it's you're stuck my understanding of the City of Angels is that it, that it's a liminal place, a, a transitory place between our reality and our dreams.
0: It's true. Most of the songs, uh, the Kelly songs, are about broken dreams, which is just a little bit disappointing. But Seattle songs, man. Are just
1: about suicide. <laughs> and we're back to Masada.
0: Uh, one more song uh, with fire in it. I got a whole fire playlist. It's pretty long, um, but uh, but pretty much the one that gets me. Every time. It's a song with both fire and water in it. Fire and rain.
1: Oh. James
0: Taylor. Fire and rain. James Fellow
1: Taylor. Fellow North Carolinian. Oh,
0: man, what a classic tune. You gotta look, won't you look down upon me, Jesus? You gotta help me make a stand.
1: To another day. It's a classic. The mm-hmm, classic. Mm-hmm, from North team. Carolina? Actually, you wrote that song while uh, at a mental institution in the Raleigh area. No, what? Correct. Fire and Rain is about mental health.
0: Fun facts that you only get on the vinyl pre sure.
1: That's right. Broughton. Broughton. B-R-O-U-G-H-T-O-N. Mental health facility. I don't think they're open anymore, but Broughton Hospital is where it was. True story. Well, it's been fun. Oh, it's been fun, man. Yeah, you know, it's been fun. It's been vinyl. You got any good news, though, to put on the, before we press this thing? Oh Do completion?
0: I have any good news? Uh, should my question of the week be, what does this mean? I know that's your favorite question. Uh,
1: yes, I think it should be.
0: <laughs> what is the good news? How about these are not drunk, as you suppose. Mm. These are not drunk, as you suppose. Uh, don't walk away with cynicism, but with a sense of possibility, a sense that this might actually be true this might actually be true there might actually be a next step forward it's a response to cynicism these are not drunk as you suppose it's a pretty good good news i wonder what Satterly would say if he was like what's the good news and i'm like these are not drunk as you suppose
1: (laughs) what's your good news what i heard you say there matt is (laughs) don't look back in anger don't look back i heard you say anger. My good news, ah oh, man. I think my good news, I'm gonna go with a good news that comes out of a question of what I think this text says is either nothing is real or everything is real. And the answer is that everything is real.
0: Everything is real. Love it. Do wow. you realize that everything's real? Can we get um Bishop Satterley on the pod to like approve our good news or not? Like at the oh. end of the-
1: it would be fantastic. We should. I mean, I'm sure he'd be on board. With being on the podcast, uh, I think we could get him at some point, maybe negotiating a bishop's schedule. But what we would need when we got him on, Nick, is you would need to be prepared. We would want to have some statements that we'd want to walk him into so that we could have that soundbite so that we could play the soundbite after our good news to say whether Dr. Satterley, the bishop Dr. Satterley would accept it or not.
0: Yeah, that would actually, I we could, we should get some stoplights. We could just get him saying what's the good news and then play it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah.
1: I think that's doable. It's a doable. For sure. <laughs> Unlike Kevin Strickland. <sighs>
0: Kevin! We could
1: Unlike get a bishop. <laughs> Who is calling me? Like, is there some, like, ugh. It's a good news emergency, Matt. I mean, my cell phone's not ringing, so it can't be that important. All right, um, Zach, it's been real, it's been vinyl.